So we've been in this series called Questioning Christmas, where we've been looking at different questions throughout the Christmas story. And I want to kind of continue that theme this morning, although we're going to kind of actually go just past the Christmas story this morning. We're still going to look at a question here that I think is important for us, and that's going to be the question of presence uh, this morning as we look at this uh, story of Jesus and his family that oftentimes kind of gets skipped or lost in the shuffle. Like, we hear a lot of sermons about Jesus' birth and around Christmas story, and then we hear a lot about Jesus' ministry once he gets to be, you know, 33 years old or whatever, 30 years old uh, in that time period. We don't always hear a lot about Jesus' childhood. And there's this one story. It's short. It's not a lot, of, not a lot there, but I think it's important. God put it there for a reason, right? And so there's this one story about Jesus' childhood here in Luke chapter 2, verse 41. And I think it's kind of especially, uh, has always resonated with me a little bit because it, it's similar to one of my own childhood experiences. So um, from the time I was born, when I was first born, my dad was a pastor. And so uh, for the first several years of my life, um, you know, we were at church every Sunday and on the whole thing. And Sunday was just a really busy, long day for a pastor's family. And so my dad would get there early in the mornings at church and he would be preparing for the sermon and getting things ready, and, and then my mom oftentimes would be serving as well, so she would be there early doing stuff, and a lot of times they would drive separate cars because they had different responsibilities at different times, and so as a little kid, I would just kind of tag along with whoever had the least going on that day, right? Like you're, you're just kind of like in the shadows and just kind of following along, and so we went to church this particular Sunday, and everything was fine, it was going well, had the service, everybody kind of starts going home and leaving, and my dad starts to lock up the building, and uh, locks everything up, gets in his car, he heads home, and he gets home, and he walks in the door, and my mom is in the kitchen cooking lunch, just kind of the normal routine, and, but there wasn't, he, he didn't see um, the wild child running around the house being loud, and he said, uh, he said hey, uh, hey, hey, honey, where's Micah? And she's like, I, I thought he was with you. He said, oh, I, I thought he was with you. They left me at church. So dad jumps in the car, he drives all the way back across town, goes in the church building, and there's little Micah asleep on one of the back pews in the sanctuary, completely unaware that everyone has left and that he is now at church by himself. Um, and so we, we have a similar story here uh, with Mary and Joseph and Jesus, um, where unlike me, though, he was not asleep. He was not completely unaware of what was going on. Jesus purposefully was still in Jerusalem, left behind by his parents, but they're purposefully in the temple looking to be in the presence of God, soaking up every minute that he could. And that's what I want us to look at today and learn from our Savior in this way, in this question, how can I position myself to live more in God's presence? How can I position myself to live more in God's presence? So I'm just going to kind of walk through the story with you today, and then I'll circle back at the end, and I'll give you some application points that I think are relevant for us as we look at this question, okay? So let's start in verse 41 of chapter 2 of Luke. It says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. So let's pause there, just kind of setting it up here. So it says they went to Jerusalem every year for Passover. Now, this was kind of part of the Jewish tradition. The Jewish law required that adult males attend three festivals a year in Jerusalem, right? One of them being Passover. However, at this point in the Jewish story, in the Jewish history, 
a lot of the Jews had stopped doing this. They had stopped coming back to Jerusalem for the feast because they had been you know, spread out in different areas. They were long distances. They had other priorities, other things. And it kind of just kind of fell out of practice of doing what God had told them to do. But not Mary and Joseph. It says that they went to Jerusalem every year for Passover. Right? This was, it says it was according to their custom. In other words, this was a spiritual habit of worship that they had built into their lives every year going for Passover. And what's interesting is, in the law, only men were required to go for the Passover feast. And so a lot of times they would go alone. They would leave the family at home. So for Mary to accompany Joseph every year for the Passover feast shows that they were even more devoted to God and the things of God than maybe even the normal Jewish person would have been. So this shows a high level of, of worship here on their, on their, on their behalf. In this particular year, it says that they took their son with them, Jesus, who was 12 years old. So that's a, that's a time marker there. So 12 years has passed since the last story we have about Jesus, right? At his birth and the temple being dedicated. And then 12 years later, we hear about him again. Which has led a lot of people to label these kind of interim period here as the silent years of Jesus' life. Because we don't have any information. We don't know anything about those childhood years um, Assumingly, because nothing extraordinary necessarily happened. He just kind of lived a normal childhood, grew up, learned, you know, how to tie his shoes and all, or sandals or whatever they did back then, and, you know, just kind of grew up as a kid. But now we're going to have this new thing happen here when he turns 12. So look at verse 43. It says, And when the feast was ended, the Passover feast, as they were returning to Nazareth or wherever they were living at the time, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's, a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Okay, So Luke tells us here that Jesus stayed behind. Right? So the, the language there implies um, intentionality. Right? Like, Jesus didn't just like, re- not realize the parents had left or just forgot to get in the caravan. Like, he stayed behind, but his parents didn't know it. How is that possible? How do you not know that you don't have your kid with you? Well, a lot of times in this day and age, because of the, the violence that would happen on the roads, they would travel in large caravans on trips like this. Right? So it wouldn't just be like Joseph and Mary and Jesus. It would be like all their relatives, all their friends would all travel together for safety in numbers to and from the city. So most likely when they left Jerusalem, it's this big caravan of people walking together, and you know how it is when you're in a social setting. The men are over here walking together, and the men are all talking. The women are over here walking together, and they're all talking. The kids are running around playing. Like everybody's just kind of doing it together. And, but then at the end of the first day, when they paused for the night to sleep before they would continue their journey, they would get together back in their families to stay the night together, right? So when nighttime came, Jesus would have supposed to be, come back to his parents and he wasn't there. So now they realize, okay, we don't have Jesus. They search for him. They can't find him. And so they're going to head back to Jerusalem. And it says that they searched for him, that they did not find him for three days. Three days, y'all. Right? Like, I believe God included that detail to give hope and grace to parents everywhere. 
right? Like, like, I don't know what your week was like. I don't know what parenting fails you had this week or what happened with your kids. But just remember, whatever happened, whatever problems you had, Joseph and Mary lost God's son for three days, all right? There is hope for all of us, and grace is sufficient. So they finally found him. So they found him in the temple with the teachers, listening and asking questions. Now, this was a somewhat normal activity, right? The, the, the temple was not just a place of worship. It was also a place of teaching. So kids and even adults would come, and they would sit with the priests, with the scribes. They would ask questions. They would have this kind of Socratic dialogue going on to learn about God, to learn about God's word. So this would have been a normal activity, but they would have come for, you know, an hour or two and had the conversation. They would have went home and done whatever else. It seemingly, from what Luke tells us here, it seems like Jesus was in the temple for three days doing this, which points to his thirst for knowledge and for to be in the presence of God and learning about God. Like most of us, like we're tapping out if the service hits an hour and a half, right? Like I got places to go, Pastor. Like lunch is coming up. Like we need to get. Jesus was there for three days. Right? There's an intentionality here. Now, there were probably not a lot of great teachers, Bible teachers, like back in Podunk, Nazareth, right? So, so like he's taking every minute, every opportunity here in Jerusalem with the big dogs to learn about God, to learn about his word. And look at verse 47. It says, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress, I am sure. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? So this is a really interesting interchange here, right, between uh, Joseph and Mary and Jesus. But it starts with this, this statement that they were all amazed at his understanding. Even his parents were astonished. That his questions, his answers back and forth with the teachers it was not the normal questions and answers of a 12-year-old. He had an abnormal understanding and thirst for God and for his word. And, and after 12 years of seemingly normal child behavior, Mary and Joseph now are once again reminded of the uniqueness of who Jesus really was. That This wasn't just any other kid. That he had a special calling, he had a special place put on his life and it's starting to show up here in this interchange in the temple. And so Mary finally finds him. She, you can just I see it in your head, right? You see Mary just kind of running in the temple. She sees him all the way across the way, and she's running across. She finally found her baby, and she runs up, and she's like, why? Why have you treated us so? Why have you done this to us? Right? I don't think she's necessarily, like, rebuking him. I think this is more just like the honest exasperation of a mother that finally found her child after three days. Why? Like, what, what, what is going on? What is, what is this? And so she's emotional, and she's asking this question, and, and Jesus responds to her, and he says, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now, that phrase there, must be, in the Greek, is a little bit even stronger, because it has this divine causality embedded in it. In other words, not just like, I wanted to be here, I, it's more like I needed to be here, like God told me to be here. Like there's this divine longing inside of Jesus to be in the presence 
of God. And he kind of puts an exclamation point on it when he says that I must be in my Father's house. Reminding all of us, again, of his special relationship with God and the special calling that was on his life. That he valued God's presence more than anything else in this life. That's precisely where he meant to be. This wasn't an accident. This wasn't a mistake. Verse 50. It says, And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them, and he came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. And man. So it says he went down with them to Nazareth and he submitted to them. Again, this was, this was not a sinful act of rebellion on Jesus' part. He wasn't like, I'm going to show my parents I'm staying in Jerusalem, right? Like, this was just a, a, a holy obedience to God and to the calling on his life and to be in God's presence. And so, but his parents, it says his parents didn't understand this. They didn't understand, and yet Mary treasured these things, right? She she didn't understand what God was doing. She didn't, it didn't all make sense, but she knew God was doing something. She knew God that was at work in her son's life, and she wasn't going to get in the way of that. So they just kind of rolled with it, and okay, all right, we'll just kind of, you're good, we're all good, we're back together, let's just go home now. And so Jesus went with them. But as he did, it says that as he continued to grow, he increased in wisdom and specifically, that's talking about God's wisdom. Right? When the Bible talks about wisdom like that, it's always talking about like wisdom from the Lord, not wisdom from man, not wisdom of this world, but God's wisdom. And he increased in favor with God. And he increased in favor with God, not be, just because he was God's son. Right? It's not just because he gets a pass because he's Jesus. Because he loved God. Because he longed for a relationship with the Lord. And he sought that at every opportunity. He sought to, to be in God's presence and to be growing in that relationship. And that's what brings the favor of the Lord. So, that's the story. So what can we learn from Jesus' example in this story? How can we live more in the presence of God like Jesus did? Three things I'm going to give you this morning. All right, point number two, this is the first thing. Create a habit of living in God's presence. First thing we need to do is create a habit of living in God's presence. We actually even see this from Joseph and Mary, even before Jesus, right? It says that they, that they went to Jerusalem every year for Passover. This was their habit of worship, and it showed a high degree of devotion to God, that they made this trek every year, Joseph and Mary together. And so if they were making that level of devotion every year, no doubt they were also doing lesser acts of devotion on a regular basis, right? As good, devoted Jews, they would have been attending synagogue every week, right? Being in uh, the presence of God and hearing the Holy Scriptures. They would have set aside Sabbath for the Lord to make sure that he was being honored and worshipped. They would have had daily prayers in their household over certain times of the day and meals and different things that they would do together. They would have um, been regularly giving and tithing unto the Lord, right? Because that's what the scriptures commanded them to do. And they were wanting to honor and to show favor to the Lord in that way. These were all acts of devotion. These were habits of worship that they had in place, they would have, would have had in place in their lives 
as devoted followers of God. And we see that kind of most illustrated in this yearly trek to Jerusalem for Passover. And it says that this was according to their custom. Meaning this wasn't just something they did occasionally. This wasn't just something they did on the years that it worked out and they didn't have something else better going on or they didn't have something else more important or they, you know, they were not too tired or whatever the thing was. Like They made it a point every year they were going to do this. It was a first priority in their lives to be in God's presence. It was a habit of worship. And so when I use that word habit, I know that comes with a lot of different connotations and definitions for different people. And so when I talk about habits, here's what I mean, okay? A habit is just a small decision that you make or an action that you perform on the regular basis, every day or every week or whatever it might be, right? Examples would be brushing your teeth, right? That's a habit that, that we all, I hope, we all have, okay? Um, we brush our teeth on a daily basis, hopefully even twice a day. Uh, you know, working out is a habit for some of us. Um, taking out the trash, right? Or, you know, we have all these habits that we do in our lives. And what I found is that habits actually fall into two major categories. You're going to have habits of affinity and habits of necessity, okay? Let me explain. Habits of affinity are the things that we do because we enjoy them or we enjoy the outcomes that they bring, right? The things that we want to do because we enjoy it. Like we eat, we have habits of eating certain foods because we enjoy those foods and we don't eat the foods that we don't, right? We have habits of, you know, watching certain TV shows or movies because those are what we enjoy. That's what brings us pleasure. We have habits of, uh, of playing certain games like Candy Crush or whatever your thing is, right? To like, Enjoy your time. Like, these are habits that we do because we want to do them. They're habits of affinity. But we also have habits of necessity. Things that we do because we have to. To avoid some other thing that we don't want to happen or to avoid some pain or, some, or to achieve a goal. Like, you know, taking out the trash. I hate taking out the trash. Like, it's like every day at our house, it seems like. The dry just fills up. But I don't want bugs and I don't want stink in my house. So out of necessity, I take the trash out, right? That's a habit of necessity. Are you following with me? Um, showing up to work on time each day, right? That's a habit of necessity because you want a paycheck. <laughs> you want to keep your job. And so you make sure that you're there on time, whether you want to be there or not. Um, we have, you know, for some of us, working out is a habit of necessity, right? Like, well, I don't want to do that, but if I don't, things are going to go south quick. And so we have to do certain things. Um, some of you, that's a habit of affinity. I don't understand you, but nonetheless, that's, that's good. Whatever your thing is, right? So some habits can fall in either category depending on your heart and why you're doing it. But the key is just that. Why are you doing it? You see, as I was reflecting on this, I realized, you know, when we first launched our church, when we first launched Harvest, um, we had to have all hands on deck, right? We were a small group. We had a lot of jobs that had to be done on Sunday. Everybody was serving somewhere. We had set up and tear down, and we had worship and hospitality and greeting and counting and kids ministry and parking lot and signs and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So everybody was all hands on deck. Everybody was working. Some people were working multiple jobs, which meant that we pretty much all of us were there every Sunday because we had to be. We had, otherwise, church wouldn't right? Because everybody had a job to do. But now that we've been blessed by the Lord with a permanent church, we've got to move in here. Some of those jobs have went away, which is great. 
Uh, some of them have decreased. Other jobs have increased. But I feel like in some ways it's, it's meant that we, um, we feel less pressure. We feel less necessity sometimes in the serving and like we used to. And so it's easier to become more laxed than in our habit of church. And what used to be four times a month, eh, maybe two times a month is okay now. Because I don't have to be there because I don't have to serve here or do that. And so, or maybe you're new to our church. Man, if you're new to Harvest, man, welcome. We are so glad you're here. And maybe you came from a church culture where that was just kind of the norm. A lot of churches it is. You know, two times a month is good enough. But can I just share with you just today? Like, I'm not trying to shame anybody. I'm just trying to share with you, like, the heart of the Lord is every Sunday. He wants you here in his presence, hearing from his word, worshiping him every Sunday. That's, that's the habit of weekly worship that he's looking for in our lives. Now, it doesn't mean you won't ever miss a Sunday. My wife's not here today because we have a sick kid. <laughs> but as much as we're able, as much as possible, we make it a priority, we make it a weekly habit of worshiping the Lord. Even daily habits. And if we want to have these habits of being in God's presence, habits of necessity won't work. They have to be habits of affinity. Right? They have to be right because our heart desires to do these things. We don't have to go to church. We get to go to church. We get to be in the presence of Almighty God and to worship Him every single week. That's the heart that God's looking for. That's the heart that will create good habits of worship that honor the Lord. So the question, what are your habits for living in God's presence? Like if you just do the self-inventory, what are your habits of living in God's presence right now? What does your weekly worship look like? Is it a priority for you? Like every week, I'm going to get there on Sunday. Or is it just a possibility? Like, yeah, if it works out, we'll go. What about your daily routine? What, what is God's place in it? Where does, where does God fall in your daily regular routine? Is he a recurring voice for you in the day, or is he just like an occasional consultant if you need him? What about in financial stewardship? Are you living like it's all God's money, or it's all your money? Does he have first dibs, or does he just get the leftovers? Even think about habits of worship in your family. What do your family rhythms look like? Are you building family rhythms primarily for spiritual growth or for worldly growth? Is it more about finances or academics or sports or social activities? Or is it more about building a spiritual heritage in your family? What are the habits that you're walking in? Because here's what I've seen. Your life will be shaped, your life, every one of us, your life, my life will be shaped by whoever or whatever's presence we are in the most. 
And if it's not the Lord, then you're being shaped by something else more than by God. And I know as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, that's not what we want. And I know that, honestly, this morning, I don't know why God picked this message for this Sunday, because, like, you're here the day after Christmas. So, like, most of you are, like, already probably hitting this, right? Like, I'm probably preaching to the choir in some ways. But as I was looking through it again this morning, I even had God pushing on my heart on some things. Like, yeah, this, this could be tighter. This, this, this could be better right here. And so, you know, maybe not all of this is for you, but maybe some of it is. What are your habits of living in God's presence? That's the first thing. Second thing, look at point number three. Cultivate a heart for living in God's presence. So it's great to have the habits of weekly worship, but it doesn't, the habits won't go very far if we don't have the right heart behind them, right? Like we all know that. We've seen that in our regular lives, even outside of spiritual things. Habits don't last unless we really have a heart to stay in them. So how do we cultivate a heart for living in God's presence? Well, we see here with Jesus, he spent three days in the temple because he had a hunger for more of God, more of his word, more of his presence. So we'll lock the doors when we're done here and we'll stay here for the next three days. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. But here's what I am saying. Jesus didn't just show up and check the box. He didn't just go to the temple or go to church just to say he did it for the week. Okay, now I'm good. He was there. He was asking questions. He was listening. He was leaning in, trying to grow, trying to learn, trying to be with God as much as he could. If we're just checking the box, that shows that maybe we have the habit without the heart. We have to cultivate a heart for God's presence as well. He said to his parents, he said, I must be in my father's house. I love that phrase because it just shows the, the greatest desire of his heart at all times was to be in God's presence. And so how do we do that? How do we cultivate a heart like that? Because here's what I know for sure. We can't muscle it. You don't get a heart like that by just forcing yourself to do it. <laughs> by just picking yourself up by the bootstraps and white knuckling it and just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love God. It doesn't work that way. That's not how you cultivate a heart for the Lord. And I know this, that we won't long for God's presence without cultivating that heart. So how do we do it? What does that look like? Well, I want to go back to an uh, illustration that my dad used to use. I told him my dad used to be a pastor. He used to use this illustration that I think really helped me kind of grasp some of this. He said, that for all, for, all, for all Christians, for all those who are following Jesus, that we have um, two dogs inside of us. The first dog is the old self, the, the sin nature, right? That, that part of us that's still there, that's still trying to gain control again, that's trying to fight for our hearts, trying to call us back into our own sinful desires. He said, but the second dog is the new self. It's, it's the new creation that the Scripture talks about, right? That we have the Holy Spirit that has come and is living inside of us and has given us a new heart, and that dog, that heart, longs to follow God. And so if you've been a Christian for very long, you know what I'm talking about. We, we all have these dogs, and there's, there's constant dogfight inside of us where we have some desires for sin, and we have some desires for God, and it feels like those are constantly in conflict. Am I the only one? Don't leave me up here. Come on, right? Like, there's this, there's this conflict of like, I want this, but I want God, and like, it's just, 
It's those dogs. They're fighting. They're fighting it out. And you know who's going to win? The one you feed the most. Because the one you feed the most gets stronger and stronger and stronger, and he's going to win more and more fights. And so if I want the spiritual dog to win, I have to feed him more. I have to be more in the presence of God. I have to be more about the things of God. I have to keep surrounding my heart and my life with the things of God so that that dog can grow stronger and stronger. To cultivate a heart that desires more of God's presence than more of the world. That's what we're going for. So the question is that. How are you cultivating a heart for God's presence? What does that look like? How are you, in your daily life, cultivating a heart for God's presence? I think there's three major ways we can do this. Number one is time with God. It's the simplest one, although it seems sometimes it's the hardest to keep going and keep strong. But time with God, just you and him alone, on a regular basis, reading God's word, prayer, scripture memorization, like whatever it looks like for you, like just being alone with God and learning and growing and developing that relationship with him. That's the first thing. The second thing is time with God's people. Right? It's not enough to just be you and God. Like you need time with God's people as well. That's where the church comes in. That's why Sunday morning worship is so important. We get surrounded by the people of God, and we get encouraged by their faith, and we get to pour into one another, we get to love one another, we get to serve one another. And it grows us, and it strengthens us in the Lord to cultivate this heart for God. That's why small groups are so valuable, because you're getting together every week with other believers, and you're praying together, and you're holding each other accountable, and you're, you're studying, you're talking together, and you're... It's the way you cultivate a heart for God, is being with God's people. And then thirdly, it's time away from sinful influences. The biggest thing that feeds the first dog are sinful influences in your life. And one of the biggest sinful influences for most of us is media. Could be TV, could be movies, could be music, could be social media. But how much are we filling our hearts and our minds and our eyes with things that are not of the Lord? And they're feeding that first dog. And we wonder why we struggle so much to fight him off and to keep sin at bay. It's because we're constantly feeding him with all this junk. And we make excuses, right? Like, well, it's just the way the world is and there's nothing else to watch. And there's nothing else. Like, it's just, it's just just sinful influences that are feeding the wrong dog. Or maybe it's not media for you. Maybe it's other men or women in your life that you still are holding on to those relationships from the old self. And every time you get around them, and every time you spend time with them, they're pulling you back to that old self rather than you pulling them forward to Christ. Or for some of us, maybe it's just internal motivations. What I mean by that is, some of us, we have 
just kind of natural affinities and desires for certain things. And some of those things are even good things. They're not bad. But in our past life, they were idols. And we gave so much to them. And we gave so much time and attention and worship to those things. And our motivations are still there. And if we allow those motivations to rule us, we'll go right back to that idol worship. And it just feeds that old dog. The only way you're going to grow a heart for God is to feed it with the things of God. Sometimes that's hard. Sometimes that means some hard decisions. Sometimes that means giving up some things that we really enjoy. But God's presence is better. God's presence is more important. God's presence is more valuable. And when we finally see that, that's when we start to seek it like Jesus did. One more thing, last point today. And this is, this is the cherry, right? This is, this is the, the, the good part. This is the, the, the topping that you're like, yes, that's what we're going for. Point number four, collect an inheritance from living in God's presence. We see this here. The last line of this passage tells us what happened in Jesus' life. When he did these things, it says Jesus increased in wisdom. Again, not because he was God's son. He didn't get like just like a free download, okay? Like, it's because he was living in God's presence. He was seeking God's presence. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Did you hear that? From the Lord is the one who gives wisdom. That's the only place you get it. The only place you're going to grow in wisdom is being with the Master, learning from the one who has it. Being in His presence more gives you more wisdom from God. So Jesus grew in wisdom, and He also increased in favor with God. And that's just a really simple equation. Like, more time with God equals a deeper relationship with God, and a deeper relationship with God equals more favor from God. It's just like relationships 101, right? Like, if I, if I want more favor with my wife, if I want a deeper relationship with my wife, then I have to spend more time with my wife. That's the only way that works, okay? Same thing is true with God. That's where favor comes from. It comes from relationships. And relationship comes from time. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 34 says, Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors, for whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. Right there. Right there. God's presence brings blessing and life and favor. And there's only one way to get it. to go to the Lord. Friends, I'm here to tell you, no matter what this world says, no matter what someone else tries to convince you of, the most valuable possession in all of creation is a relationship with Almighty God. That's it. This is why we talk about the gospel here over and over and over again. The gospel isn't about you checking a box. It's not about getting out of hell. It's not about pleasing somebody or making yourself okay with God. It's about a relationship. 
with God. You see, in our sinfulness, our sin breaks that relationship. Our sin separates us from God, and he cannot have a relationship with sinful beings. He's too holy for that. So when, we, when we're in sin, when we're in rebellion against God, that relationship is severed. But God loves us too much, and he has too much mercy and grace for us to leave us there. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come and be born as a man, as a baby, and to live a perfect sinless life, only to go to the cross and to give that life to pay for our sin. To be a substitute for you and I. To take the wrath and the punishment and the death that we deserved and to pay that debt. And he died in our place on the cross and he went into the grave. And three days later, he rose back to life to show that he was God, that he had conquered sin and death, and he made a way for us to be restored in relationship to God. And he says, Come. Come and be, re- be reconciled, be restored. You can have, today, you can have a relationship with Almighty God. And if you don't have that yet, man, I encourage you, do that today. Repent of your sin, turn away from that, put your faith in Jesus, and let him save you and give you a relationship with the Lord. Some of you need that this morning. Some of you have already done that this morning. You've already put your faith in Jesus. Praise the Lord that he has brought you to that place. So then my question for you is this. Are you living a life that will maximize your inheritance from the Lord? Are you living a life that was constantly seeking his presence in a way that's going to maximize that inheritance that you can have in that relationship with God? I started with this question, how can I position myself to live more in God's presence? How can I get there? What does that look like? You know, this week, we start another new year, okay? 2022 is coming. So, will you live more in God's presence in 2022 than you did in 2021? That's the goal, right? It's that simple. All the other resolutions, all the other stuff you've, got, you've thought of, like put all that to number two. Number one, how do I live more in God's presence this next year than I did last year? How do I create a better habit of being in his presence on a daily and weekly basis? How do I cultivate a deeper heart for being in his presence Because if we do that, if we'll continue to grow in that, we will experience wisdom and favor from the Lord. And I want that for you. I want that for me. I want that for our church. What would it look like if Harvest Church, all of us together, grew in wisdom and favor with the Lord this next year? Man, it would be awesome. Starts in his presence. Stand with me. Let's sing. Let's pray and sing. Heavenly Father, dear God, it is good to be in your presence. Lord, thank you for for welcoming us in every week. Thank you for inviting us to know you, to worship you, to live with you, God. 
Lord, through the power of your Spirit, Lord, create in us hearts that desire to worship you and live for you in greater ways this next year. Help us to form better habits of worship. Help us to form deeper hearts of worship. We want more, God. We want more of you. Come, have your way in our hearts today. pray all of this in the name of our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ.